0: Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Santa Church, those of us here at Central Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Berespa, Bridgeland, Eredree, and South Calgary. I Also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Over the next few months, we will continue studying two books of the Bible in our worship services. When Pastor Henry is preaching, he will be preaching from the book of Romans, And on the other weekends, we will be journeying through the book of Exodus. Uh, Studying both the Old and the New Testament helps us to have a a balanced diet from God's Word. I want to give you a quick recap of uh, where we are in the book of Exodus. Uh, God's people were in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. They cried out to God in their oppression Asked for divine intervention. God had carefully prepared Moses to play the role of the deliverer, to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses receives this commission from God and goes to Pharaoh, all guns blazing, commands Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Moses thought this was going to be a breeze, a slam dunk. And in a matter of moments, Pharaoh is just going to capitulate and cave into the demand. But Pharaoh was a tough, tough nut to crack. He was not in any mood to listen to the slaves or their God. In fact, he made their life worse by tightening the screws and adding to their workload. Moses' attempt to deliver his people backfired. Hopes get dashed and his own people get upset with him. Moses felt so deflated by this whole experience that God didn't come through. He has let him down. His promises have not come to pass. In a conversation with Moses, God reminds him, don't you worry, Moses. I have a plan and a purpose, and absolutely no power can thwart what I am about to do. So that is Exodus chapters 1 to 6. We come now to Exodus chapter 7. Uh, Usually, I love uh, preaching through a smaller section of Scripture and diving deeper into its meaning. But with a large book like Exodus, 40 chapters, that is unreasonable, for we will be in Exodus for a very long time. And you will start praying for an Exodus from Exodus. (laughs) So taking that into account, uh, we will look at slightly larger sections of the narrative, And I'll summarize these larger sections and we will look at some of the key verses and identify relevant themes. Pharaoh did not take Moses seriously. He was in no mood to relent. And what we see unfold in the next section of the book of Exodus is the clash between two powers. And one person was going to find out the hard way that he is no match for the living God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, was going to stretch forth his hand and unleash a set of plagues that will demonstrate his power and supremacy over Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Now, plagues may sound harsh. They cause a lot of suffering. And I bet there's nothing pleasant in the next section of Exodus. This is God's judgment on sin and rebellion. You know, liberal Bible scholars try to explain away these plagues and disasters by attributing them to natural causes. They claim some of these phenomena always existed in Egypt, and there was nothing supernatural about it. They, they try to protect the image of God because the idea of a God who sends plagues and destruction is not so appealing to the popular mind. What kind of a vindictive God is this? If you don't listen to me, I'm going to smite you with plagues and destruction so you will learn to worship me. Is that the God of the Bible? I believe these events in Exodus are supernatural and God orchestrated the plagues. But before we come to a drastic conclusion about God's vindictive nature, we have to understand the purpose of the plagues. There are ten of them, and they gradually increase in their intensity. Now, If the primary purpose of the plagues was destruction and judgment, one plague would have been sufficient to wipe out all of Egypt. One grand climactic display of power would have done the job. Isn't that right? A God who is all-powerful can simply blot out Egypt from the face of the earth. More than destruction and judgment, more than bringing Israel out of Egypt, the plague served a bigger purpose. What is it? What could the purpose be? I'm going to walk you through Exodus chapters 7 and 8. And in the process, we will find answers to that question. A key theme in the book of Exodus is knowing God. God reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh, the God of his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, Do you remember what was Pharaoh's immediate response? You find this in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. This is the first encounter Pharaoh and Moses have. And as soon as Pharaoh heard that the God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, commands you to let my people go, Pharaoh's immediate response was, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Why should I listen to his voice? I don't know him. Pharaoh lived in a pluralistic religious environment. The Egyptians worshipped many gods. They had the God of the sun, the river, childbirth, crops. They had a God who represented the various aspects of the Egyptian society. So Pharaoh was saying, I don't know this God of Israel. We have our own gods, so why should I listen to the God of the slaves? The purpose of the plagues, if I might present to you, is more than judgment. It's more than bringing Israel out of Egypt. The purpose of the plagues was to reveal Yahweh, the character of the one true God. That was the intent behind the next set of dramatic events that will unfold in the book of Exodus. These were not just plagues. They were signs. And through these signs and wonders, God was going to reveal Himself To the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, to the Israelites, and to the whole world that they all may come to know Him. I'm going to touch on each of these categories and show you from the text how God revealed Himself to Egypt, Pharaoh, Israel, and the whole world. We will look at specific verses here in Exodus 7 and 8. Let's start with Egypt purpose of the plague was that the Egyptians will know God. Exodus 7, verses 4 and 5 It says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And here it is, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Through the plagues, God was giving an opportunity to all of Egypt to come to know Him. This was the intent, the reason behind the plagues, the stretching forth of His hand was so that all of Egypt will come to know who Yahweh is. So what was God doing through the plagues? He was demonstrating His absolute superiority over the gods of Egypt. By decimating the Egyptian gods, Yahweh showed his true character to the entire nation. You know, when Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh, they throw the staff that God had given Moses, and that very moment it turned into a snake. And this was the prelude to the 10 plagues that will be unleashed on Egypt. The staff turned into a snake. I don't know about you, but I'm petrified of snakes. I find them creepy and scary. Sometimes we take our kids to the pet store. We figure that's a lot easier than buying them a pet. And you know, they sell snakes in the pet store. And once we were walking by, the store attendant says, if you want to hold a snake, I can help you with that. And my response was, no, I like it way better when the snake is inside a thick glass tank, locked and safe. Once my kids and I were in a lineup for a roller coaster ride in an amusement park in the United States. And all of a sudden, I heard a person scream, snake. And there was immediately a great commotion. And right before our eyes, we saw a huge snake, over six feet long, just cut through the line, and everybody went crazy. I thought maybe that was somebody's pet snake. They released it to shorten the lineup. (laughs) I thought to myself, here we are. We pay money to sit on a roller coaster ride that hurtles at such ferocious speed You know, does all kinds of loops and goes upside down and drops down from such a height, defies gravity, gives you a whiplash, and we enjoy the thrill of it and we say, let's do it again. And we see a live snake, and at the sight of this slithering creature, we are petrified and we freak out. See, that is our 21st century. But Pharaoh lived in a different world. For Pharaoh and all of Egypt, They were used to snakes and didn't find it to be a big deal. When Moses' staff turns into a snake, Pharaoh just yawns, doesn't find it to be amusing at all. In fact, nonchalantly, Pharaoh calls his sorcerers and magicians, and by the power of their secret arts, they do exactly the same. They are able to throw their staff and duplicate the miracle. You think your God is powerful? We can do the same. But to their horror, Moses and Aaron's snake swallowed the snakes of all the magicians. And the word swallow is the same word used to refer to the Red Sea swallowing the Egyptians when they tried to cross. For this was the onset of a set of events that will culminate in the crushing defeat of Egypt and all their gods. Clearly, They were no match for God's power. The one true God was taking on the gods of Egypt and challenging them. Some Bible scholars see each of the plagues as an attack on a particular Egyptian deity. While that is possible, it is hard for us to trace each of the plagues to a specific deity because they had so many of them. We can only speculate when it comes to these things, but we cannot be conclusive. But what is true is God was exercising his total mastery over the plethora of Egyptian gods. The first plague was a serious one. It was an attack on the river Nile. Now the Nile River was crucial for Egypt's survival. In fact, there was no Egypt without the Nile. It was their life support system. And because of the Nile, Egypt had drinking water, irrigation, transportation, food. They were so dependent on the Nile for the flourishing of their society. At least three Egyptian deities were tied to the river Nile. And God totally humiliated these deities by disrupting the Nile River and turning it into blood. Find that account here in Exodus 7, 19 to 21. Listen to these words. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Can you imagine how chaotic that would have been? Absolute mayhem. You know, for seven days, their principal source of water supply was cut off. All the fish die, so food supply gets cut off. And interestingly, yet again, we see the magicians were able to perform the same act before Pharaoh. They also found some water and turned it into blood. No, if they were really contesting, they should have countered Moses by turning the blood back into water. That is the way you demonstrate your superiority. Uh, clearly, they couldn't reverse the effects. What they did using their black magic and satanic power was just a small token of the magnitude of the miracle that God had just performed through Moses. So that was the first plague. The second plague was to do with the frogs. As far, as far as I know, most species of frogs don't bite or cause harm. Unlike snakes, frogs don't induce the same level of fear. But if they manage to get inside your clothes, that's a different story. And that was Egypt's problem. They were inundated with frogs. There was a frog invasion. They basically took over the land. There were frogs everywhere, inside the house, inside the kitchen, inside the kneading bowls, and even in the bedroom. Every time you walk on the floor, you will scrunch a dozen of them. They end up in the breakfast cereal on top of your toothbrush, your bathtub, and hop all over you and inside you. How does that make you feel frogs everywhere? Interestingly, one of the Egyptian goddesses was portrayed as a frog and it was a sign of fertility. Yahweh was opposing the frog deities of Egypt that the Egyptians worshipped. And now, the frogs had become a problem. They went out of control and became a nuisance. And when God commanded, they all die, signifying that they have no power. once again, the magicians managed to duplicate the miracle. They were trying hard to keep up and showing that they are no less. And here's the irony. There's a proliferation of frogs everywhere. It is a huge problem. And the magicians, rather than solving the problem, show off that they can also multiply the frogs. How helpful is that? You know That is like somebody is lighting houses in your neighborhood on fire, and rather than containing the fire, you're boasting, see, I can do the same because I'm as strong as these perpetrators. So rather than undoing the chaos, the magicians simply added to the chaos. And Soon even that was going to change with the third plague, the plague of gnats, annoying insects, similar to mosquitoes, except they can sting a lot harder. They enter into your nose and ears and can drive you insane. Like dust, the text says in Exodus, like dust, they started to swarm everywhere in Egypt. And this time, the magicians were unable to replicate this miracle. In Exodus 8, 18, and 19, it says, But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And finally, the magicians acknowledge. That what is happening in Egypt was no coincidence. That this was the finger of God. It is a phrase that acknowledges the superiority of God in this contest of power. That this was a, a mighty demonstration of God's supremacy. And the magicians and the gods of Egypt were no match to the power of the one true God. They admit their defeat and they stop fighting. Clearly, the plagues demonstrated who God was to the Egyptians. By defeating their gods, the true God was inviting the Egyptians to come to know him. The plagues demonstrated God not only to all of Egypt, but to one individual in particular who thought he was a god. The purpose of the plagues was so that Pharaoh will know God. Pharaoh was one of the most hard hearted individuals you will ever see in the Bible. Proud, full of ego, defiant and stubborn, and insisting on going his own way. And God was going to reveal himself to Pharaoh. This is stated explicitly in the very first plague, turning water into blood. Look at Exodus 7, 16 and 17. Then say to him, Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness, but until now you have not listened. And this is what the Lord says, by this you, Pharaoh, will know that I am the Lord, With the staff that is in my hand, I'll strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. So as a result of this plague, Pharaoh will know that Yahweh is God. The one who defied God by saying, who is the Lord that I should listen to him will now receive a crash course on God's attributes. I'll briefly allude here to a dilemma that we see here in the text and it's to do with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. This has been a concerning topic for some. So here's the question, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? If you read the text, there are at least three different responses. In one instance, we see this right after Aaron's staff swallows the staff of the magicians. In Exodus 7:13, it says, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's heart became hard and no one initiates it. No one causes the hardening to happen. It just became hard. And yet, there are other times in the text where it explicitly says, "God hardened Pharaoh's heart." Here's an example, Exodus 7:3. "But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt and it goes on to say how He will not listen, I will harden Pharaoh's heart." It feels unfair that God is setting Pharaoh up for destruction. And you may wonder, poor Pharaoh, what can he do? He's just a pawn and God is hardening his heart. What chance does he have? So is God responsible for that? And as you're pondering over this and wrestling with this, fascinatingly, the Bible also uses another expression, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I'll look at Exodus 8.15 as an example. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And you see that stated a number of times in Exodus. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So we have God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. And then Pharaoh's heart is hardened. It just happened to be hardened. There isn't a a causative effect to it. So how do we... There's all this tension. A lot of this is mystery. So I don't want to make dogmatic claims on challenging passages like these. It'll take us a lot more time to go into the intricacies of all of these things. But last weekend, you know, from Romans chapter 9, Pastor Henry already dealt with this dilemma of God's sovereignty and human responsibility and how these two things go hand in hand. It'll be sufficient to say, God did not make Pharaoh's heart stubborn or evil. Pharaoh was responsible for his own evil. He's not a a puppet on a string being manipulated by a higher power. But Pharaoh very intentionally and deliberately makes those decisions. And he is fully accountable for all of his actions. God is not taking a good man and making his heart hard. He's merely exposing the hardness of heart of a man who thought he was a god. And as I pointed earlier, God could have gotten rid of Pharaoh in one stroke if he desired so. But he is merciful even to Pharaoh in giving him opportunities to repent. At the end of every plague, there was an invitation for Pharaoh to humble himself, hear the words of God, and be obedient to what he's saying. The plagues gradually increase in their intensity. Unfortunately, rather than responding positively to God's invitation, with each successive plague, Pharaoh's heart only gets hardened. And he reaches a point of no return, and he's determined to go his own way. Now There are times we see a, a glimmer of hope in Pharaoh when he indicates a desire to change, when he asks Moses to pray. Now, before he had insulted the God of Israel, saying, Who is the Lord that I should obey his words? And now he acknowledges the Lord and even asks Moses to pray to him on his behalf. Look at Exodus 8, 8 to 10. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Even Pharaoh's own palace was not exempt from this frog invasion. He couldn't bear it anymore. This was not life threatening, but it was annoying to the nth degree. Frogs everywhere. And Moses saying, I know, when do you want me to pray so we can get rid of the frogs? The answer should have been, now, right now, this very second, would you pray for me? But Pharaoh says, tomorrow. I'm willing to put up with this for another 24 hours. No, that is how tough this guy was. And interestingly, when the frogs were gone, Pharaoh went back on his word, his promise to release the people. A repeated pattern that you will see in so many of the other plagues. As soon as relief was in sight, Pharaoh hardened his heart even more. Now, It is easy for you and I to think Pharaoh is an extreme example of some weird, hard-hearted individual. Now We can put him in the category of a maniac and keep him at a safe distance. But the truth is, Pharaoh is representative of all people who are bent on going their own way and who refuse to submit to God. Pharaoh is a lot closer than we would like. In fact, there are some of you like that in this room. There are some of you listening to me online, you're like that. You're bent on going your own way, and you mirror unknowingly the attitude of Pharaoh. God in His mercy gives you one opportunity after another to repent, but you keep refusing. You're stubborn and set in your own ways. You insist on going in your own path. And I want you to know you look more like Pharaoh than you would like. But the purpose of the plagues was to teach even Pharaoh about God. That God wanted him to come to know Him. So the plagues spoke to Egypt, to Pharaoh in particular. The plagues also spoke to another group of people. And these are the Israelites. The purpose of the plague is so that Israel will know God. Exodus 6, 7, and 8, God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The whole Exodus narrative served as a lesson for Israel. and They had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their ancestors, a rich heritage. God had made a personal covenant with them. But now, moving to Egypt and living here in a pluralistic environment for 400 years, somehow the Israelites had assimilated to the new culture. They didn't have a a close relationship with Yahweh. In fact, they knew very little about the character of God. And the saga of the Exodus will teach them about God's love, His power, His grace, and His ultimate plan and purpose for their life. So all the plagues served the purpose of deepening Israel's walk with God. God knew soon they would be out of Egypt, that they would be walking in the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. And in the wilderness, their faith will be tested to the core. They will face all kinds of trials and challenges. And only a deep, intimate knowledge of God would keep them anchored, keep them grounded, and sustain them in the midst of these trials and challenges. And moreover, through the retelling of this Exodus story, generations of the Israelites will come to know God, that faith will be passed on from one generation to next through the retelling of the story. So Egypt, Pharaoh, all of Israel will come to know God through these plagues. But there's more. Lastly, the plagues served this purpose that the world will come to know God. There is a global scope to the book of Exodus. It's stated very clearly in Exodus 9, 15, and 16 where God says, for by now, I could have stretched my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power. And look at this, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, the Exodus event would put the spotlight on God. And in the process, all of Egypt, Pharaoh, Israel and the whole world will come to know who God is. The events of the Exodus will go down in the pages of the Bible, and centuries later, people of all ethnicities like us will read these accounts and go deeper in our understanding of God's character. See, that is God's ultimate purpose. Not just to reveal himself to Israel, but to all the nations of the world. God is not a God of one ethnicity. He's the God of all nations. The scope is always global. And that is an inspiring vision. Because through one nation, God was going to bless all the nations of the world. Through one people group, he was going to send Jesus, who will bless all the people groups of the world. So, centuries later, we read these accounts in the book of Exodus, we hear about these plagues, and we see the character of what a great God that we serve. And what does God want us to know? The Lord wanted Israel, Egypt, Pharaoh, and the whole world and us to know today that He is unique, He is supreme that there is no one like Him. He has no rivals or equals. Nobody can stand against Him. Nobody can thwart His plans and purposes. Now, the Lord wanted Israel, Egypt, the whole world, and us to know that He alone is worthy of our worship, worthy of our highest affection. He alone deserves our highest loyalty, service, and commitment. The Lord wanted them and us to know that He is merciful, that He is forgiving, that no one is too far gone, that there is a way back for every single one of us, even for someone like Pharaoh, if only we will humble ourselves. And the Lord wanted them and us to know today that every breath that we take comes from him. The air that fills our lungs is from Him and everything that has breath ought to praise the Lord that all of creation proclaims the greatness and majesty and the splendor and the glory of God, that God has demonstrated His greatness and power and glory to us so that we can be ambassadors of that greatness and proclaim how awesome He is to the world. So, rather than hardening our hearts, we soften our hearts, we come before Him in humility. We are in awe of His character, His nature, His greatness, for that is a fitting response.